Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. And this is Get On Board, a podcast about games worth playing. Join us every week for great analysis on board games, pick fives, reviews, and all sorts of other entertaining board game talk. Welcome to Get On Board. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. This is our podcast about games worth playing. Yeah, hey, Andrew, have you played any games worth playing lately? Oh, boy, have I. We have been in the ancient Mediterranean. We have been in uh, some sort of manga Japan, and we have been German rabbits reading each other's minds. Aha. It has been an interesting week, Tim. It's been a very interesting week. But the game I'll kick off talking about is The Ravens of Three Sahashri. So this is a game that I was very excited to play. This is by Osprey Games. And this game is a cooperative puzzle game. So one of you, it's a two-player only game, so I bought it to play with my wife. One of you plays the character of Ren, who has lost her memories. And then the other of you plays her friend Feth. Oh, sorry. This is Japan, man. This is Japan. Gotcha. And Feth must restore her memories by building an Atman, which is kind of like a dream hall. I thought that's a thing you put under your feet when you... Sorry, it's an (laughs) Atman. Never mind. Go on. You're killing me here. Yeah. This is Japan. Okay, yeah. It's cool. So, basically, in the Ravens of Three Sahashri, Ren is composing a poem of seven, 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 and five syllables. She's doing this with numbered cards with a range of values from one to five. They're numbered and colored. And then Feth is building this Atman with the same cards. And every turn, Feth draws a certain, as many cards as he wants, and then must play at least one to the Atman. And then Ren must take at least one and add it to her poem. And she must work on her poem line by line until Hmm. it's done. And you have to do that three times, except the third time you do it, it's really hard because it's the final dream, and that means that Ren must complete one line of her poem every turn. So it increases the pressure. Oh, and if I didn't mention this, there are also five ravens, one of each color, which when you draw them, they will start sucking up all your discards of that color to be removed from the game. Huh. And you must complete three rounds without running out of cards and with completing the poems in the proper order. So this is a really interesting collaboration game, and we have been playing the heck out of it. We've played it five or six times already this week, and we still is haven't similar, won. We're going to talk about the mind in a minute, but is yeah. it sort of similar to that? And that, like, it is actually in that you can't communicate. Right. So Ren has more information than Feth because Feth is building this Atman, and he has some interesting constraints because each card is a grid of open and closed spaces, basically. Mm -hmm. And the closed spaces are colored in the color of that card. So when you stack cards on the Atman, they can overlap, but colored segments always have to go over other colored segments. Empty segments always have to go over other empty segments. Oh, and if I didn't mention this, when Ren completes her poem, all of the cards in the Atman must match the colors of her initial four face-down cards that Feth can't see. Okay. So she starts with four cards in her poem that are face down, and they each have a value on them. And then Feth doesn't know the value or the color of them, but he has to give her the right cards to finish the lines of her poem and construct the Atman in such a way that all the colors in it at the end are matching those four cards. So it's this really interesting kind of puzzle game that's really hard. Oh, boy, is it hard. We lost three or four times on the very first round. We were kind of getting the hang of the game. And the last time we played, we got all the way to the final dream and we were so close. And all I needed to do for us to win was to draw a freaking five and I would win. And I drew seven cards, no five, eight cards, no five, nine cards, no five, ten cards, no five. And I stopped. How many fives are in the deck? Enough. I mean, there's there's a couple, but at this point, several were underneath Ravens. Some were Uh already in her poem. Some were already in the Atman, maybe buried. And... Oh, we we lost the game, and then afterwards I flipped over my deck, and there was one five left in it. It was the very last card, which means uh. we could have won if I had drawn my very last card. If I had gone down to my last card, we could have won, but we didn't, and we lost. So, so have you beaten it yet or no? We've not yet beaten it, and oh, 
Okay, I'm super okay, pumped see, about this now game. You're the one who always tells me that you don't like co-op. You won't play Robinson Crusoe with me because mm-hmm. it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. So you, you're playing this one. Yeah, but this really one has about one twenty-fifth of the rules of Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> and probably yeah, one twenty-fifth of the time investment, probably. Yes, we can so. knock it out in about 15 minutes, usually, because yeah. we lose. Yeah. But here's the other thing that is driving me nuts about this game. After you win your first game, you open the first envelope. There are three envelopes in the box. Oh my gosh, it's like a mini legacy game? I don't know what's in the envelopes. They're thick. They could have cards in them. They could have new rules. I don't know. It's driving me wow. crazy. I am dying to beat this game. I'm, I'm so into this game. And Alicia's really liked it too. So this has been a really successful couples co-op for us. We've really enjoyed it. That's Very the cool. Ravens of Three Sahashri. Well, I have the... Monsters of freaking Tokyo. Okay, that works. Yeah. Also Japan. Also so Japan. There you go. And a little bit opposite of the you know intellectual spectrum here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we had a game night with a, a bunch of our college students, and you know I brought a stack of games, and a bunch of people walked in, and and who all played just a variety of different games, and somebody says, "Oh, King of Tokyo." Another person says, "Yeah, I played that." Hey, let's play King of Tokyo. And I'm looking at you know the people who there who haven't played many games, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, let's break out the King of Tokyo." You know, some crowds you play this game with, and it just really hits, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because we had like three or four tables worth of stuff. There's some people standing around. One of the big complaints that people say about King of Tokyo that I say is that it is an <laughs> elimination game. You know yeah. that, that you get right. eliminated, but I don't know. It didn't. It, didn't really feel that bad i mean when we had enough people standing around and it was fun enough and we were that's the other thing too is you have to uh when you play king of tokyo make your decisions quick go hand the dice off the next player exactly set that tone because this game you do not want to sit there waiting around while somebody ap's over oh do i buy this card this time or you know oh do i save the hearts do i heal just make decisions and go for goodness sakes yeah yeah. and that's when it's super fun yeah and um yeah so we played like two games of that um just regular and then i pulled out the expansion which most hadn't played with Ah. and i i love the expansion and i think the expansion fixes something that's that that's kind of wrong with the core game with the core game let's say you're in tokyo and you beat down everybody outside Mm -hmm. and so they're down to like three health well what are they going to do are they going to roll to to kill you no they're desperate Mm -hmm. they can't let the turn get back around so they're going to roll hearts right they heal up you beat them down again they heal up you beat them down again you win the game it's sort of uh once that rhythm gets established it's kind of hard to break yeah the cool thing about the expansion is that you roll three hearts and you get to get one of your cards out of your personal deck. Interesting. And you know, you it can be a permanent evolution, which um, like a permanent ability or temporary evolution, which you flip over and play immediately, or when the card says it triggers. But they're very powerful, mm-hmm. and they tend to shift the balance. And that's what nice. that's what we really liked um, nice. about it. Also, what was cool was I brought my old set. Another person brought a new set. So we had both sets of artwork side by side. Oh. We had both sets of characters side by side because the the new one, for instance, has a no, no kraken but a penguin, yeah. and it was kind of cool because somebody said, "Well, I like the kraken, so let's play him." Yeah. So we, we were like mixing the old set monsters and the new Did set. Did you monsters. end up with all your monsters? <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, in back in the box. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we double checked. But I have to say, I mean, uh, you know, you go with what you know, and I really liked the old set, and yeah. I kind of went in a little bit stubborn with that. But you know, the new set are artwork is really cool yeah the new set cards artwork is way better really and um yeah so it actually is kind of for people who really like to collect like me um there's actually some merit pardon me worth getting both yeah there's some merit in having both i kind of liked having you know both sets of the characters around so yeah anyway well this is an expansion that i have yet to try and you know that my opinion of king of tokyo is so maybe I should try yeah. it with the expansion. It's it's at least short. You know, the game is at least short, so I can try it without much skin off my nose. But it's yeah, a, it, you it, definitely it, picked the right environment for it. I'll right. give you that. That's definitely where it thrives. So yeah, and I think it just kind of rose to the top just through, like I said, through everybody that walked in, a few people having played it. And again, we were very fortunate that nobody really sat there and agonized over the decisions. Right. Yeah, boom, that, boom, that'll kill that game. It, it, it was really great. What else you got on your recent plays? Oh, well, hey, I tell you what, I, I have been fortunate. This is a sweet week because I've also picked up The Mind, 
recent German release that I am super pumped about. We played this just before we recorded, actually. I ordered this from Amazon DE because I didn't want to wait for it to release in the States. Mm-hmm. This is a super simple, this is a laughably simple game. The premise is you draw cards from a deck <laughs> numbered 1 to 100 without uh-huh. any communication. You play them in order as a co-op between two to four players. And I'm laughing already having played it with you. That's literally all the rules. I mean, there's there's a, you know, you've got some lives and when you make enough mistakes, you're out. And there's some throwing stars that can help you discard cards. That's it. That's the whole game. You can explain it in 30 seconds. And we just could not stop playing this. We played it again and again and again because every time we died, we said, ah, oh, we're better than that. And we shuffled up the cards again and we tried again and we died again. So I I I have I have really enjoyed our first four plays of this just yeah. today. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to have a lot of longevity with me. Um, I still feel I feel like that there's no choice to make. I mean, there is a choice, but I don't. Right. I like games that give me just a little bit more information. There's a lot of just sort of looking at the other players and reading them and right. hoping for the best. Which I guess that's what this game is. It's right. just meant to be a light. Yeah. And this game this game is great. For my game group. I can tell you that already. I know that they're going to love it. And I know that I can sell pretty much anyone on this on this game. I mean Well, it plays so quickly. Yeah, what's the rules overhead? This is barely a game, and I say that in a good sense. It's very easy to get into. I mean, I can't think of a single person who comes to our game night who wouldn't be convinced to at least give this one a try. Yeah. Because man, it was just fun. So I really enjoyed that one. I'm looking forward to bringing it out in a variety of groups. That's the mind. Yeah, so back to that game night. Boy, it seemed like player elimination games were the rage. Because the other thing that we brought out, um, I had it stacked with a bunch of other games. I grabbed it on a whim, bang the dice game. Ah, and another one I've never played. Ah, yeah. So we, we tossed it on the table. Have you played Bang? The regular... Regretfully, I must say yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, Bang is one of those games that's... Uh, Bang the card game is a really fun game. It's just that it, it is a, it is it takes us longer to play it than we sh- it should for the weight of that game. Twenty minutes of fun in a two-hour game. But it has a lot of uh, just really cool card combo stuff that can happen. And when you draw the right cards and you get the Gatling gun with a bunch of bangs in your hand, boom, 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 it's really satisfying. Bang the dice game was meant to sort of distill the experience of bang down mm-hmm. into a. Uh, you know, a smaller and easier game. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like it did a terribly good job. Really? Yeah, it's a faster game. But, I don't know, it just it just didn't really grab anybody. Huh. Um, and it didn't, it hasn't really grabbed me. It's one of those games I've, I keep thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm just missing something in how we're playing it, or, hmm. but we just never quite get the vibe of it. And we play a couple of games of it, and, People just sort of look at each other and say, what else we got? Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it kind of fell a little flat. Yeah, I mean, I've I've only ever played the original. The theme is awesome. Oh, I, yeah. I'm totally down for that theme. It's just, I don't have fun playing the game. It's way too long and yeah, kind of random sometimes. And So, I was interested in Bang the Dice game because it looks like a shorter version of Bang. But, ah, that's that's a bummer that it fell flat. That's kind of a game I wish would... would Get more of a 2.0. Yeah, uh, I, I think that there there are some things that could be done to streamline that game to make it play faster. Um, probably one of the negatives about the card game. Well, I mean, you have some things like the Gatling gun, but for the most part, it just feels like you're. I don't know. Um, it just doesn't just doesn't move fast enough. Hmm. Um, I just wish the cards would do maybe more intense things yeah. more quickly. Um, so yeah, but. Bang, the dice game, that one did fall a little bit flat. Anything else in your recents? I think it's time to move on to our review. It is. We are reviewing a new hotness game. Oh, yeah. This is this is a game that, that just came out not long ago. If you're looking at sort of the vast span of history. Galactic time scale. Right, and the yeah. galactic time scale. Yeah. It's a very recent game in yeah. history. So. This is Twixt. By Alex Randolph. Published, oh. I think, in 1963. Did Alex go on, or prior to Twix, did he make any other games? 
Yes, he did, actually. He did Avalon Hills, or 3Ms, for their bookshelf series. He also did their redo of Nefetafel, called Breakthrough. Oh, so we talked about him before. I have no idea what that game is. That's the Viking one that we had a epiphany oh, about a couple right. episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah, so he designed that one. Well, designed. He tweaked the rules, I think, for, for the bookshelf series. He did a lot of games back in the 60s. I think... I don't know if Twix is the best known one, but they're all kind of similar in that vein. He believed in very simple rule sets, so yeah. a lot of abstract games. But we're reviewing Twix today because A, it ties in with our discussion topic, and B, it's an abstract that I really, really liked. I mean like, that I really, really like. Now, this is not a Tim game. I have taught it to him. He's played yeah. it two or three times, but... It's not his jam. Nope. So this review is going to be a little bit different from our normal format. We're not even going to talk about magic and tragic, so we're really deviating here. But I'm just going to tell you guys a story. Yeah, this is like just your journey with this yeah, game. Yeah, this is just like story time with Andrew. Now, are you going to explain, like give a quick, brutally oversimplified overview, or do you want me to do that really quickly for you? Or Go for it. Do it. I'd, okay. I'd be interested to hear how you describe okay. it. Because this is about all I have to contribute <laughs> To this review. Okay. Other than asking me some questions, and by the way, I, this isn't my kind of game, but I do see where some people, I'm holding back, no I won't, <laughs> some very odd and strange people, no I'm just kidding, <laughs> I do see where it can be, uh, it, it can't, well I, I watched it, I watched sure. people get into this game who I never thought would be, Sure. you know, and Alex Randolph, you created a game that a bunch of 20 something hipsters were playing <laughs> 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 Over at Andrew's place. So anyway, what the game? Think of, think of, what's that game where you? Um, what is that called? Where you have the grid of dots on the paper? Dots and boxes. Yeah, dots and boxes. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Think of a grid that looks exactly like that. And I guess this game was initially played on. Um, yeah, he invented it on pen and paper. On pen and paper, right? But so um, basically, there's a pegboard that just is a grid, and you place a peg of your color in it. And then you can place another peg of your color in it. And then you can connect those two with a little link. Mm -hmm. And you can connect them either sort of straight or diagonally, correct? But I, they don't connect straight. They're all diagonal. Well, there's a shallow diagonal and a steep diagonal, kind of. Because it's a two-by-one. It's like uh, a knight's yeah, yeah. move. It's like a knight's move. That's so right. your two pegs are right. two-by-one yeah. apart. Yep. So you have to connect them diagonally, two yep. forward and one to the side. Yep. Two forward and one to yep. the side. Or... or Two to the side and one up, but right. yes. Okay, thank you. See, it's, it's been a while since I played it. <laughs> and basically, all you're trying to do is get a set of connected links from your side of the board straight across to the other side. Mm -hmm. And the other player is playing sort of sitting to the left or to the right of you, mm -hmm. typically, trying to get his, um, his links to go just straight across the board. So basically, you're crossing perpendicular to each other. Right. And so, yes, at some point you're going to clash. Yeah, and it's going to be even. Di right, difficult to get around each other. And so it's just a matter of, of figuring out how that board works and, and, and how, to, how to trick your way around the other player. What I found interesting was that when I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is going to have all the depth of dots and boxes, mm -hmm. which is a really brutally simple game. Right. I mean, right. This is why it's mainly in children's little activity books or whatever. Right. Uh, this game has no less, no more complicated a rule set, but whoosh, you could see some depth there. Oh man! And <laughs> and how? And that is the explanation. I will leave the story part <laughs> to Andrew. Go ahead. All right. Well, I got into Twix because of the 3M bookshelf games the most famous of which is Acquire, which I'm a big fan of. Mm -hmm. So at some point I started thinking, hey, what other games are there are there in this series? Since I like Acquire so much, I should check out some of the others. So I found Twix and it looked kind of interesting, you know, for a nerd like me. And I actually posted it on the Thrifting For You Geek list on Board Game Geek, which if you're not familiar with it, is a place where people around the world will look out for the game at their local thrift store, and if they find it, basically send it to you for the price of shipping, which is pretty dang sweet. That is cool. So I thought, okay, cool. I'll just put it up there and see. And because it's a game from the 60s, what do you know? It popped up in 
in the thread and someone had a copy. And I wish I remember who gave it to me. I don't. I could look it up, I guess. But thank you, whoever you were, because you were about to send me on a very interesting journey. So I took a flyer on this game and when it arrived, I unwrapped it and I took it out and we played a game night once. The first couple games we played, we realized that, oh, once you start building this fence, if someone gets ahead yeah. at a certain point, you just race to the edge and they can't win the race. Well, okay, this is boring. Well, then we realized that, oh, you can put a peg where they're about to put a peg and force them to turn because you've taken that spot. And so now you can force a little bit more and maybe, you know, maybe you can run them into a wall that you've built. And then we realized, whoa, if you put the pegs a certain distance apart, you can set yourself up to place a third peg later on and put two links down at once. Hmm. Whoa. And, and so we just keep kind of taking baby steps into this game. And at first, everyone at game night was playing because I was super pumped about it. But as time went on, I continued playing it with my two buddies, Steven and Nathan. We got way, way into this. We got so into this that we had ELO rankings for our matches. And as we won and lost, we adjusted our ELO rankings with each other. Wow. We played two or three times a week. I would text Nathan and say, hey, man, Alicia's working late tonight. Let's come over. Just come over. Let's play like five games of Twixt. I mean, we would do that midweek, just spontaneous twixt. Uh, I spent weeks making a custom wooden board for this game. <laughs> I found eight by eight by one blocks of maple. I hand stained the maple. I took the blocks to a CNC router in our public library and I made these pegboards. We were all obsessed with this game. And this is a game that I've played nearly 50 times at this point. So when I say obsessed, we play this game so much week after week. And it was fun because we were all kind of diving into the depth together. Mm -hmm. There was no experienced player to wipe the floor with all of us. There was no one who already knew how to play. We were all learning how to play and making the mistakes as we went. And that made it a really fun game because someone figured something out. And sure, they'd win that match, but then the loser would say, man, I can't believe you did that. We'd, we've never seen that before. We've literally never seen that before. I mean, picture aliens who land and discover chess, and they just have to learn how to play and yeah. start playing from nothing. Like with none of the accepted strategies or anything, they would start removing through chess's history of what are good plays and what are bad plays and new strategies. We were doing all this with Twixt, and it was super fun. We were really into it. And let me tell you, what's cool about this game is this was the first game I had ever seen that I enjoyed that was abstract. This was the first abstract game I really, really fell for. I hadn't even played Hive at this point. Wow. This was the first abstract game. This was my first experience of how yeah. good abstract depth can be. This is as abstract as abstract gets. Oh, yeah. Compared to this, chess is thematic. Yeah. I mean, I mean this is <laughs> pegs and links. No theme at all. But I saw the depth in it, and I understood all of a sudden what people see in chess and Go, even though th those games may not be for me. There's beauty in depth. But, you know, that ended up dropping off for you. And that, this, to me, is a really interesting part of the story. What, what happened that, I mean, you're not playing this game much anymore. Right. And There's a villain to this story, ladies and gentlemen. The villain to this story is called... Twixtlive.com. Twixtlive.com, if you're unfamiliar with it, which you probably are because you're a normal person, not a weirdo like me, is a site where you can go and play Twixt against middle-aged men who sit and play Twixt all day long, which means they wipe the floor with you again and again and again. I have never won a game on Twixt Live. And let me be clear, when I'm talking about 50 plays earlier, those are physical in-person plays. I've probably played it another dozen to two dozen times online. And I never won an online game because these guys have been playing for years. And by the way, these games are not trivial. I mean, a good game of Twix takes how long? Half an hour, 45 minutes even. Right, so I this mean, is not like yeah, this a is, game you whip through in five minutes. No, this is, I mean, this is fast stuff. And here's where the villain comes in, Twixt Live. See, for the first time, Nathan and I were playing against players who were on the tournament scene. And there is a tournament scene on this game, partially online, but also in person. There are in-person championships. That's amazing. And we were exposed to this really high level of play all of a sudden. 
And it was like hitting a brick wall. All of the tactics that we had learned were, of course, you know, rudimentary to these guys. Mm. And so I started. So at first I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to learn from these guys. I'm just going to watch games. So I watched the type of Twixt that they were playing. Well, here's the thing. Championship Twixt takes about four times as long as what we were even playing. Most of the online games aren't even played with a turn timer. So people have days to think over their next move. Oh, so they're, they're just kind of like, you make a move and then you wait until the next move. You make a move yeah. and then so yeah. the next day I'll make one. Okay. Right. So this is exacerbated by online, but even in championship setups, good play is so slow and methodical. You rarely see links formed. You see battles played with just the pegs and just the threat of being able to place links. And most disconcerting of all, a resignation as soon as you realize you couldn't win, which to me is a bummer. I want a fencing match that I can fight out to the last breath and just try, try my hardest to get across even when the hope is so small. But no, in Twix, there comes a point in high-level play where you look at four dozen random dots on the board, some of them with links, and you realize, I can't win. And he's barely placed a single link. funny because I would probably look at that and go, oh, I don't know, I'll place a link. <laughs> <laughs> so. so what this turns out to be is a slow constricting of the board space. It starts out super wide open and then it just kind of strangles you as you go on until someone resigns. And there's a real metagame to the tournament scene. And, and once I got into the depth that was there, I realized you know, this isn't the sort of game I'm actually interested in. I found it much more interesting when we were learning Twixt and we were fencing and we were back and forth, attack and counterattack and flipping the momentum. And I'm sure that some of that is there in the tournament scene. And to be fair, I've never played at that level. I'm not that good because I wasn't into that type of play. Okay, though, I have to ask a question. Here. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not saying this... Uh, this this may sound critical. I'm uh -huh. not trying to be critical, but I am saying it is not fun to play a game when you know you're going to lose. Uh -huh. Like uh, we all hit sort of our intellectual limits, mm -hmm. and sometimes where where we're pushing up against boundaries, we know we're going to have to commit an enormous amount of time mm -hmm. to get past. Could I ever be a championship chess player? Mm -hmm. I. I I doubt it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I have the intellectual capacity to reach that far. Right. I could be a whole lot better than I am. Right. But see, like chess is one of those games where it's sort of like it's sort of like the honor code in the old Roman and in in medieval fighting systems, hmm. where a knight wouldn't take on a villager. Right. If he was threatened or spit upon by a villager, he would. It was the, the code of honor. He would have violated a code of honor by right. taking out his sword and stabbing him. Right. Because you're, you're going after somebody who is, who is unarmed, who is um, weaker than you, perceived weaker than you. That, that's not a worthy duel for a knight, right? right? And, and most villagers, of course, wouldn't try to take on a knight because they're just out of, they're just clearly not in their league. Right. So there are a lot of games where sort of the, complexity hits its limit, right, yeah. at a more accessible level. And so you know, hey, if I play this enough, I'll get good enough to where we're all, all of us around the table are going to be the same skill right. level. Twixt, I think, is one of those games where some people are just able to go so much farther down the rabbit hole yeah. than you yeah. that at some point you hit the wall and you say, True. I either don't have the capacity or to get further, I'm going to have to put way more time, effort, right. and energy into this. So I'm, that's what I'm asking. Right. I'm trying to get at it. Well, uh, again, not being pejorative, but did right. it? Did it? Did you hit that wall? And that's what made it less interesting? Or was it the, really the game itself? I think it was both. I, I think that, well, it's hard to say. I'm, I am a pretty dumb person. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I guess what I saw is I saw a sampling of the depth, the type of depth that was being played. And I said, I could get there, but I just am not interested in playing that type of game. Right. Because it's just a funnel narrowing, narrowing, narrowing until one person realized I don't have a shot. 
I want there to always be the possibility for me to burst through the lines and like make a mad dash, but there is no mad dash in Twixt. It's mm-hmm. exactly equitable play. One peg, one peg, one peg, one peg. There's no possibility to steal a trick on your opponent. Hmm. Yeah. Now, what would be interesting maybe is speed twixt, if you had maybe 20 seconds of move, yeah. because that would force you to make mm-hmm. mistakes, that would force you to improvise, you wouldn't be able to just fall into these defenses that make the game take so long. But, that's not the scene, so, for better or for worse, I realized that Twix was not for me. But, the reason I owe a debt to this game, and if any of this is sounding interesting to you, you really should go seek out a board. They're easy to find yeah. and learn it in person. And look, you're you're going to invest what ten bucks from max. I mean, in, max. in a board. So this is not this is something that even if your story mimics Andrews and you get into it for a while, right? You're still going to you're still going to get your plays out of it. Right. I can't believe I just said that. Given what our <laughs> next topic is going yeah. to be, but anyway, uh, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's why we're reviewing Twixt. Without learning Twixt, I would have never sniffed. Palago, Yinch, Go, even, which I've mm-hmm. now been learning. Samurai, I mean, we can go as abstract or... Uh, so many abstracts yeah. that... Uh, you know what? I said abstracts aren't for me. They just aren't. Until I tried Twixt, and I found, oh, man, abstracts have so much depth, and there's so much interest in a player versus player just battle of wits. Man, I'm fascinated by this, and I owe it to Twixt. It took me on, well... A gaming journey. It opened up a new corner of the world to me. And you have friends that are still into it, right? Yes. Now, here's the interesting thing. Nathan is still into this game. He's mad into this game. He plays it at work. He can beat the guys online. Hmm. He has invested the depth, and he has found the play style. He's, he's in that, and he's okay with it because he plays it like they play it. At work, you know, take a move, don't think about it, return, study the board, you know, wait for your next move, study the board again, come back to it several times mm-hmm. between moves. He, he can play that way. And that's great. And that's awesome. And here's the most dramatic conclusion to this, which I have not even told you. On Saturday, I gave Nathan my maple board. Oh, wow. To celebrate his engagement, I gave him my Twix board. And I said, Nathan... We learned this game together, but you are the one who's still playing it. And I want you to have this because I want it to be used. And you know what the first thing he said was? This made me so happy. He said, you know what? My fiance's dad would love this game. And I said, heck yeah, go teach him how to play it. Cool. So this is a game that I no longer own that I rate a 10. And that just kind of blows my mind. I can't Mm. even recommend this game to everyone. It is dry and stodgy when you get into the depth. It's really interesting, and it really held my interest for six or eight months. Mm -hmm. Where was the main thing we were playing? I mean, it almost became a lifestyle game for me. You know, here, we still wrestle with, and I think it's a good thing to wrestle with, how we review games and how we recommend games. Mm -hmm. And some games... You know, we often talk about how we're just not going to, we're really going to try not to recommend games that are just good or average or right. even just, as we said, good games. If we right. say it's a good game, you know, that's, uh, you know, we want, we want to play great games. We want to invest right. our time in great games. But what we realize, though, sometimes is that we come across a game where we say this game is great yes. for some, yes, but not for me. Yes. But it is really a great game. And I think for me, Twixt is that. Mm-hmm. Like, I see, I see, I peeked down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I, I got to that point where, I, you know, I started, I started first where you play a peg, play another peg, play your link. Right. Play another peg, play your link. Right. Play another, and it's a silly way to play. And then, you know, when I began to realize, oh, no, you, know, you need to focus on the structure and let right. the links be the threats, I, I could see that. But I think I only got a total of maybe five games in. Mm-hmm. And even some of that, my realization, right. you guys had coached me on. Right. In the end, though, to me, it still just sticks Right. And links, right. and it's so boring. <laughs> I'd much rather play a game like High or Tigris and Euphrates or... Even Yinch, I think, abstracts yeah. in a more interesting way. Well, here's the interesting thing. I think in Yinch, I may have found an abstract that's what I was hoping Twix would be. I mm. like that dynamic, fluid shift of control. I mean, Yinch takes away your best piece right as right. you 
make a decisive move in your favor. So it's inherently balanced and the the momentum's always flipping between the two sides. It plays quicker. And so maybe Ginch is the next abstract I'm going to explore. Because, man, I'm mad into abstracts now. And I did not think I would have said that sentence, you know, a year and a half ago. So get on board. Heartily recommends checking out Twixt. But just know it's not for everyone. Sure. And know that to get the fullness of the game, you're going to have to go on that journey. That's just what that game is. That's just how the game is designed. Learn to play it with a bunch of other people who've never played it before. Because Mm -hmm. then you can have the same discovery that we had. Learning to play it. Learning the good moves. I don't want a good player to tell me, well, that move is garbage. I want to learn, ah, I can do this better. I can do this better. And then just constantly be going back to it, mining new depths from it. Mm -hmm. Almost like discovering the game like a, a fossil Kind of, you know, and, and getting the depths there without someone lecturing to you and telling you, well, clearly, you know, you need to do this and this. So it's amazing how that game has stood the test of time. Yeah. Uh, that, that was my that's, that's a good segue. To, that was my attempt to segue. That's a good into segue. Our next topic, <laughs> into our next topic. So our next topic is permanence in board gaming. Mm. What do we mean by permanence in board gaming? It's sort of an argument over, should a game be designed and, sh- and should we expect designers to design games that will last a lifetime? Games that we play forever. children will play and our children's children will play. Right. Games like Twix that just have these, you know, this incredible depth to them that, that um, you know, and here you have, you know, who, who would have thought? I wonder if this designer would have thought that 30 years later there would be a community around his game yeah. playing tournaments, right? Yeah. I mean, so so that's that's kind of the question here is is uh, is that a, a, is that what we should expect from games? Um, and I think it's a particularly pertinent question to ask when we live in an era, as we often say, of board game opulence, where thousands upon thousands of games yeah. are out there. And I, I think we're more than hundreds, right? Are we into thousands of games being created and released a year? Oh, absolutely. We're probably like six or 7,000 a year. Oh, that's nuts. Go check out the previews for, for any of the big uh, conventions. I mean, those, those previews are pages and pages and pages wow. long. Hundreds of titles just, for, just in one convention. It's absolutely crazy. So this is this is a topic where I think Andrew and I probably see things a little bit differently, and that might make the discussion yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, we do. Um, well, I'll leave, I'll leave this one off. I like the idea of permanence in board games. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of a designer sitting down to create a game and thinking, I need to create this with a rule set that is going to, with a theme that's going to interest people for years to come. With a rule set that's accessible, but yet deep, and with victory conditions and paths to victory that are balanced, that are dependent upon things that will make the game last for for years to come. I like the idea of, and yes, this is kind of a classic and a purist view, right? And I like the idea of of board games being created to last. Mm -hmm. Andrew, your opinion? I mean, I agree with you in part. I would look at my favorite game, Glory to Rome, which I believe mm-hmm. is that, which through 30 plays has held up. I know I can get 100 plays out of that, 200 plays, because I know the game will be rich and worth playing even years from now. I want to play that game in a nursing home. So I agree with you on that point. However, I also ask the question, is there value in a game that you only play a bit and then sell on? Or maybe... Is there even value in just exploring a game and saying, yeah, that's enough for me and passing it on? So I would be more inclined to question whether even your whole collection could reach that status or if really, if you're being honest with yourself, you will get maybe two or three games that really hold that permanent factor for you. Okay. So there's kind of a core question here. That I'm going to toss out and then throw aside for a minute as as I go uh, 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 on a bit of a journey. Okay. But sort of the core question is: Are games that are not designed for permanence mm-hmm. still as good as good as games that are? Yes. 
Uh huh. And that's where we might have some disagreement. But let's <laughs> let's let's start by looking back at the history of games. Okay. That were designed with. Who knows if they were really designed with permanence in mind? Well, actually, actually, the most permanent games have evolved a lot. Look at chess. I mean, it would be unrecognizable from what was played hundreds of years ago. Not only in the rules, but even in the metagame and how it's played. Mm -hmm. I'm not as familiar with Go, but I would assume that a game that's 4,000 years old would also be have changed a good deal. So we look at games like chess and Go and Batgammon and Checkers, which are games that have endured for hundreds or thousands mm -hmm. of years. And what do they have in common? One of the first things I noticed, these are all sort of like spatial abstracts, mm -hmm. which means that, okay, this is going to sound, there are going to be abstract designers probably listening to this that would kill me for saying <laughs> this. But in some ways, it's easier to plumb depth when you design a spatial abstract game. You, yeah. you you create a set of movement rules. You create a set of pieces that can move in different ways, and voila! Right. Uh, yeah, they're sort combinatorial of, games. Right. The depth the depth yeah. sort of un unfolds. So, um, I, I get that that's part of it, and we're going to be talking about that in in a minute. Well, maybe I should bring that up now. I do think that there are games that lend themselves more to being those kinds of classics, yeah. um, and abstract games are one are mm -hmm. one of those things. Um, look at some other games that have stood the test of time. Games that are sort of a little bit more dependent on playing the player. Poker. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just talking about another one earlier. Skulls and Roses. Yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. Skull. Right. You know, that's Skull. a game that's older than it's been published. Right. Right. And even things like charades. The, yeah. The, the, yeah, it's just a party game. Right. And, of course, we call the game Headbands, but that game has been around for right. a long time. It was played in Europe right. uh, at, at least 100 years parlor ago. Parlor games. So, <laughs> parlor games, that's right. <laughs> and, and so we see that there are games that do endure and stand the test of time. And why do they do that? And I sort of wonder, is it, is it a, does it have to do with the quality of the game itself? Does it have to do with the fact that the game got prolific? So you know how they often say it's not it's not important to be uh, best in market as it is to be. It's not as important to be best in market as it is to be first to market, right? right. So like, would Monopoly take off and become the worldwide hit that it is now if it were released and invented today? So what you're telling me, to, to use a more modern example, you're saying that Tigris and Euphrates would not be successful today because it was it benefited from being one of the first Euro games that really came over and made a splash. Well, yeah, and I wouldn't call Tigris and Euphrates as much of a Euro. I mean, it's an abstract Euro, right? It's one of the real Euros. It's not, the euro we deserve. It's the euro we need, not the euro we deserve. It's an abstract <laughs> game. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a euro. I mean, it's not a. Let's see. Well, it was published in Germany by a German designer. Okay, about, but it's not the. It's I mean, not the sort of engine building. Yeah, but that's what euros kind of, were in the nineties. Euros so, were Tigers and Euphrates in the nineties. Podcast. Yeah, it is. You're right. We so. disagree on that <laughs> for, for different reasons. But my, you see my point. You but, know. Well, but let's let's ask this question: How popular would Tigers and Euphrates be if it were if it had been made in 1930? Oh, I just had a vision of Tigers and Euphrates being sold at Target, and it just uh, made me really happy. Wouldn't I mean seriously? I think it already hit the market a little late to, to yeah. have been um, to have made its huge splash. I mm -hmm. mean, I think the, and yeah, okay. And there were probably a lot of barriers to 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 publishing back in the day. I mean, 2,000 years ago, if you had a great game idea and you, you play it with your friends, you play it with your friends in your village, it might never reach right. outside your village. Right. Who knows how many wonderful games are created that we, we know nothing about. Also, it is fair to say that when we're looking at a time period of hundreds of years, game design has evolved. Right. I mean, right. Tigers and Euphrates, you're looking at you know, more complexity than Monopoly, right. for example. You know, gaming has gotten more sophisticated we've realized oh roll and move is a bad idea mm -hmm. oh player elimination is usually a bad idea right uh, things broader trends like that have happened so i think it's a better game it's a product of its time mm -hmm. 
So as I look back, just to kind of summarize that history piece that I'm, I'm going on about, but the main things that I see are, I think some games stood the test of time because they were so rich and complex, sure. like Go mm-hmm. and like chess. And some games stood the test of time, even though they weren't terribly rich or complex, just because they somehow caught on and went viral, and like games like Checkers and Backgammon. Right. Um, and more recently, Clue, Monopoly, Shoots and Ladders, exactly. you know, all the ones that, that we all have in a game closet somewhere. Right. Often, I, I actually thought about this as a quick aside. I wonder if I would hate Monopoly as much if I played it for the first time today. Probably not. I mean, Monopoly, Monopoly has tournaments, live tournaments, cash prizes. It, there is a scene around Monopoly for, for all its flaws. And for all the roll and move games that are out there, mm-hmm. Monopoly actually does it in a more interesting way than yeah, a lot of the Lansari or Parcheesi right. or Trouble or any right. of these others, right? So, but anyway, that was a quick aside. So, now let's kind of get into modern day. So, sure. now we do have people that are designing games, I think, that, I mean, I think there are still some people designing games that they hope will be classics for years to yeah. come. They hope that, you know, they're designing it now at 30 or 35, and they're mm-hmm. hoping that they're still going to be living on their royalties when they're 65 yeah. and retiring. And well, I get, I, I think get a that. clear example of that would be someone like UA Rosenberg, where however you feel about his games, you kind of get the sense that he's just, he's either already made his magnum opus or he's just, every game is a new draft of that magnum opus. Like they right. all have such a feeling of similarity, and you just feel like he's polishing that diamond. Right. Until, you know, just everything gleams. And he really is trying to create games or a game that will just last and persist and be perfect. Right. Right. And I, and so, yeah, so we have some designers like that. And then you you have Kickstarter. Uh, Queen Games. <laughs> Queen Games, you have. And that's, I know that's a blanket condemnation of Kickstarter, but let's face it, there are so many games on Kickstarter where it, it is, and there, I, I understand there would be an incredible degree of, of mm-hmm. pressure. You have a core idea for a game, but it takes an incredible amount of discipline and time to go through all the playtesting steps involved with all the different groups to go outside your circles, as right. Jamie Stegmeyer recommends on his mm-hmm. uh, uh, videos about how to how, how to create games. I think he, he is the one who really follows a solid discipline. I think yeah. he He's actually trying to create games that have some permanence to them. Yeah, um, but we see that a lot of a lot of stuff gets released that kind of splashes for a while, and then everybody sort of burns out on it, and then we don't really hear about it again for a long time. Is anything wrong with those games, though? So what if I want to play a game four times and then sell it? Yeah, whatever. You know, it's a game. I had fun with it. I'm done with it now. That's okay. I get I get your argument for perennial favorites, for gems, for diamonds. I think. You know, everyone should try to have a couple of those in their collection. But what's wrong with playing a game ten times, a dozen times, and then saying, oh, that was fun. We're done. At a cost far less than even movie tickets. I mean, board games are experiential. I I get that. I get that. Okay, but why then would I waste my money and time on a Euro game that looks really cool and looks really deep, but after about 10, 12 plays, we realize, you know what? We've kind of figured out the two or three optimal paths to victory here at the beginning of the mm-hmm. game. With it by by turn two or three, you just have to kind of commit to one of those, mm-hmm. and you sort of just see how it plays out. And with a group of experienced players, it's always going to play out very similarly, and that kind of makes the game lose its shine. Sure. So we the- had our fun with it. Let's sell it off. Now, what if the designer had taken more time? With that game to figure so out. So your argument is that literally every game could be a gem if people put the time into it. I'm not. Well, no, I'm not saying every game could be a gem. But there are you some know, games every good are, game could be taken to that next level if they had put the time in it. I think a lot of games could. Now, right now, I'm thinking of the Euro category. So right. maybe you know, maybe that but, limits me. But what's the problem with? It's fun to explore. Glory to Rome, for example, is fresh for me. It will always be fresh, but it's not new. I know it very familiarly. So what's the problem with buying a game, a card game even, and saying, oh yeah, it's going to be fun to learn a new system. It's going to be fun to learn new rules, new ways of interacting. Oh, we played it ten times. We, we discovered a lot of fun stuff in that. Oh, we're good. We're done now. Let's, let's play another Hand of Glory to Rome. Yeah, I just don't see what the problem with that is. I mean, they're just boxes. They're not monuments or pillars of permanence. They're just they're okay. just games. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to tell you what the problem is as far as I'm concerned. Okay. I understand that mentality, and I applaud people mm-hmm. who put out games that are not 
designed to last forever mm-hmm. that are solid, incredible games. Yeah. Okay, and I know the easiest ones to pull out there would be like the legacy, legacy games, games right. or the exit room kind of games. Right. But there are also, I'll give you another example, Alchemist. Mm-hmm. Alchemist is not going to be a game that has infinitely re, infinite replayability for you. Once you right. start figuring out how to put those potions together and, sol- and solve those problems, the game loses some of its luster. Right. But until you get to that point, and I don't think I'm at that point yet, because I'm only about four plays into it, uh, it's a really cool game. Right. But I've heard that it loses its luster, but I'm fine. 15, 10, 10, 10 games from now, I'll, I'll happily sell that game because yeah. it was so well designed. And the journey that you, you, you went through to understand that game was really delicious. Right. It was really cool. So you're fine with people playing games for a finite number of plays and then selling them on. You just don't want them to be playing crap games for a finite number of plays and then selling them on. Yes. And what do I mean by crap games? I'm not saying that people don't have fun playing some of these games. Okay, I, I, I'm having I'm having some trouble here because I want okay. to, I so, want to name some games. So let's walk this back. Let's walk this back before you get in deep water. Your problem is with the industry, not with players. My problem is I think that cons- games as consumable encourages lazy design. Okay, I, why put the effort into it? I can subscribe to that, but you're also getting awfully close to saying people are having fun the wrong way, which I think is silly because who cares how someone else has fun? Like if they want to drop. 200 bucks on a boatload of minis and play a really fun experience with their friends and some beers like i'm not going to stop them from doing that that's totally not for me but that niche is there and the reason those keep coming out is because people like those so to a certain extent that's just people having different tastes than you will those games fall flat after four plays maybe but i I don't care i'm not buying that game i do I mean, look at a video game, for goodness sakes. You get way more than four hours worth of time out of that. Yes, I know you can take, I know you can take your, 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 your board game and divide it over four sessions and say, hey, less than the cost of a movie, but for goodness right. sakes. I no. mean, when it's just four, five, six plays in and, you're, and you've plumbed the depths of the game and you're done, I, I just, that's not for me. And when you're looking for games that have, that have long replayability mm-hmm. and then the market is flooded with games that look like they might mm-hmm. but once you get under the covers you realize uh, this game is not is pretty shallow okay so I agree with you however I think that the people who are buying games are not just getting to play I think that's an extreme edge case you know the junkie who's getting one play in of each game and then selling it because he's just got to have the new hot that is an extreme edge case you know someone's going to buy blood rage or rising sun and play it 30 times even if it's not something that you think has that depth they're getting that depth out of it and i think for the most part the market is pretty self-corrective here the crap games that don't deserve any buzz guess what they're not getting any buzz I mean, Sakura by Reiner Knizia that I played. I think it's a lousy game. The guy's designed 600 games. Cut him a break. I think Tigers and Euphrates is masterful. I think Sakura is crap. But you know what? 25 people on Board Game Geek Market is on their wish list. That's okay. that's ridiculously low. So I think that I, game's just going to be forgotten. I disagree with you. And I've decided not to name the name of this game. Okay, fair enough. But it's a very, very glitzy and glamorous game that it's, it's in its second Kickstarter. People seem to absolutely love this game. But mm-hmm. when you... It's sort of like... Um, I don't know. As, as I'm looking at the reviewers that I really respect mm-hmm. and their plays of this are saying, yeah, the theme is amazing. You mm-hmm. feel the theme. The game looks amazing, but you start to play it and you realize this just isn't that fun in the right. end. And it's not going to have staying power. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that, so you see, I don't think that that's true that they just sort of, I don't think the market self corrects per se. I think what, what's happening is that you take, you take a game that's not, inc- that's not very well designed, you ramp up the marketing, you ramp up the glitch, you ramp up the glamour, you ramp up all the Kickstarter exclusives, and it sells like hotcakes. Sure. The, okay. game, the game I'm talking about is what went well into the millions. Right, okay. An that's, over a million, sorry, not into the millions. That's well fine, over but, but think about it from a, from a personal side. I still think this is self-correcting, and it's definitely not something I'm going to lose sleep about, because let's say I do drop $300 on this giant game with tons of minis, and let's say that I play it a couple times, and meh, it's not even fun. Okay, either one of two things will happen. One, 
I'll validate my purchase some other way, either by painting the minis or displaying them or something. You know, I'll yeah. get my value out of it some other way. Mm-hmm. Or I'll say, man, that was a waste of 300 bucks. The next time one of those comes around, I'm not going to buy it. Now, yes, that's only one person, but the, the, the market will get saturated with these things. Okay, if these games really are no depth, not worth playing, then the market will get saturated and it will self-correct because people don't want to play crap. I think right now you're just seeing a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of growth and uh, an emphasis on the collectible side of gaming. And I think that's a trend and I think that will pass. I don't think that will always be the case. I think that we still see people playing great games despite lousy artwork, for example. Mm-hmm. Terraforming Mars is a great example that I'm, I would love to check out. Uh, Race for the Galaxy, Puerto Rico. These games aren't lookers. They're not collectibles. They're not something you worry about sleeving the cards or something. Y- you just play them. Oh, you you just have fun with them. I mean, come on. It's just, I, I just don't see why I need to worry about the whole state of the board game industry. If some people want to buy minis games and glitzy games, that's fine. I can't believe you don't sleeve those games. <laughs> I sleeve Tithe, for goodness sake. <laughs> so. I put backlight sleeves around the backlight tiles. <laughs> uh, okay, I see what you're saying. And then oh, there is a degree to which, who am I to, to stop a person from having fun? Last week we talked about how, for me, part of, part of the fun of gaming is the collecting. It's right. the hunting down of the game. I think for a lot of people, part, part of the fun of the hobby right now is... Buying the latest and greatest Kickstarter yeah. and just that anticipation that this could be that game. Yeah. And when it turns out not to be, those people actually don't often aren't any the wiser. Mm-hmm. They go right back into the next Kickstarter. They are they already have three mm-hmm. or more bought that three more bought that they're hoping will do what this one didn't. So it's you're really saying the hunt funny. the hunt is the game. The hunt is the game for a lot yeah. of these for, for a lot of these people. And I understand that. I've yeah. actually been there a few times. Yeah. So I, I get that, but but maybe that's that's still kind of straying from this topic. Uh, I think I've I think I've railed more on board, the the temporary nature of modern board games mm-hmm. than um, right now. I feel like to balance this podcast, you need to be defending it <laughs> a bit more strongly. So <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying I'm talking too much. So <laughs> well, so, I think we're still seeing. It. I think we're still seeing great games out there here's the thing you're saying oh no the hobby doesn't have new games that are infinitely replayable you know why that's because we're still playing the old infinitely replayable games we're still seeing plenty of games get plenty of airtime that are good that are great on gameplay mm-hmm. you know race for the galaxy glory to rome tigers and euphrates puerto rico agricola i don't think we'll necessarily see 600 of those a year maybe we'll see one of those a year or two I think I think we're starting to see indications mm-hmm. that terraforming Mars might just be one of those. It might just be that satisfying euro that really sticks around. I don't know. It's too early to say. But I still think those games that are really good that they don't even get the hype. It's just you just constantly yeah. see people playing them. Well, <sighs> I think they're still being created. They're just not as slow. The, the whole pace is just hyper fast, you know, and we're kind of these are a slower drip. They're not going to satisfy that hyper-capitalist pace, but mm-hmm. I think they're still coming out. I think they still exist. Do you think that there are good board games that are, are, are designed with limited mechanics? Like, mm-hmm. the person designing says, look, I know that this game is mechanically limited. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. I realize that people aren't going to play this thing more than ten or a dozen times mm-hmm. and, then, and then move on. But... Like, have you played games like that that you would say, yes, these are good games? And not mm-hmm. just because, I think we need to make a distinction here, not just because you got tired of the game. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about this earlier. Like, there are games that I, I will not play, I would really rather not play, mm-hmm. um, that are incredible games. Yeah. It's just a matter of my own personal burnout. Right. Dixit is an amazing party yeah, game. It totally. Is, I would say the best party game that, that I have in my collection. Oh, I would say that easy. Easy. And yet, I'm, I not so interested in playing it because I'm burnt out on it. But right. that doesn't mean it's not a good game. It doesn't mean right. it doesn't as you get burnt out on any game. I mean right. but but I'm saying do you think that there are games that you have legitimately like sold after ten plays going, I plumbed the depths of this. It was fun doing and it's time to move it on and I'm okay with it because it was a good game. 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, they're never going to be my favorites, but I enjoyed the process. Quadropolis. I played okay. probably about 20 times. Me and my friends figured out some of the strategies. We figured out one dominant strategy that was the best strategy. And that was right about the time when I said, well, this was really fun. I feel like we solved it. That's right. fine. I'm fine with that because, honestly, I, it opens up a spot for me to explore another game. Five Tribes was one that I played several times. And I said, you know what? This, this is a fun puzzle, but, you know, I think I'm good. I, I've enjoyed it, and now I'm done with it. You know, I just don't have a desire to play it anymore. And I think it's a good game. I think that it's worth putting in the half a dozen to a dozen plays, and then you're good. Do you think that there are still games, like kind of how I alluded to, like there are abstract abstract games we know allude, I alluded rather to the fact that abstract games tend to have more permanence. Right. Um, because of the way they're structured. Would you say that there are other sorts of uh, um, uh, styles of games or mechanics uh, that lend themselves to that more too? Yeah, I think psychological games. So like we mentioned poker, skull, mm -hmm. I think even the mind could fall into this Hanabi. I think those mind games will continue to be interesting because, well, they're as interesting as the players you play them with. Ah, and so like play the player games, which we rave about here on this podcast too. Games yes. like uh, Tammany Hall, like um, Lancaster. Yeah, tend to that. I think that that tends to give the game permanence because it's not reliant on the mechanic. Right, it's reliant upon the crowd. Right, and that's. And it's going to be different with every crowd you play it with or with the decisions that that crowd makes every time. Exactly. So what about tactical games? Like, um, we, th this is something you asked a question about this. I don't know if you remember that. You asked a question whether strategic games are inherently more limited. Yeah. Because there, are, there tend to be a more limited number of strategies as opposed to tactical games where you just have to make, you're going to have to respond quickly yeah. to some to, to to the choices that came up because of a situation that you're currently in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mentioned two games that I think are pretty tactical. And maybe I'm going to get... It's been a while since i played the first one. This might surprise you. Power Grid. The way stuff comes out will be different. Or my second example is yeah. Concordia. Those cards at the top, the god cards. No matter what your strategy is in that game, the decision of how and when to go for a specific card will always be tactical. It will always be interesting because it will depend on well, what everyone else is doing, how the cards were shuffled, what slot it's currently in in that spot, you know, what the cost is, what the opportunity cost is. That It's just always an interesting decision. It's always the same decision. You're always deciding, hmm, should I buy this card? But the factors you're putting into it are always different, and that keeps the game fresher for me. That's different than a strategy game like Russian Railroads, where I decide at the beginning, okay, I'm going to go all out on railroads, I'm going to build my long track, I'm going to try to get the nine train bonus, and mm -hmm. I just need to do that faster and better than anyone else who's trying to do that. Right. That's going to be the same game every time, and even the same races between players for certain things. But... A tactical game, no, it's it's more variable. It depends on what everyone else is doing. And those do tend to be high interaction games, which I know are my thing. I'm not saying that low interaction games are bad. I, I made an argument for lack of replayability earlier. It is, I would agree that it's harder to make a lower interaction game replayable. Replayable. Yeah, I agree too. But ones that do are, are just brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think, well... Like uh, Terra Mystica... It's yeah. really not a terribly high interaction game. I don't think so. There's a little bit of cutoff, a little bit of using the other players. Yeah, uh, and I mean, there's advancement on those cult tracks, but it's not really that strong mm -hmm. a, a you know an, a, an interaction game. But mm -hmm. yet somehow it manages, I think, to be an, a great puzzle. Yeah. But you know what? That's not strategic. Terra Mystic <laughs> is more tactical. Now that I think about it. Well, ask some of the guys who play. They they've taken they've written strategy guides for that thing. I mean from the very placement of your tiles, of your settlements on the board. I mean, there are people there who play are. that with a long-term strategy. Um, you, you do, but you have to make... Yeah. You do have to react. Right. There are a lot of reactive choices yeah. you're making in that game. I will say that a game that doesn't force you to react very often, something like Orléans, where you're just kind of progressing along this path that you've planned, mm -hmm. those don't have replayability for me. Because I'll have fun. Okay, the game has eight paths. Okay, I'll try each of them. And oh, okay, that was fun. Now I'm done. Because I don't have a desire. Oh, I'm going to do the... 
I'm going to do the warrior path better this time. I don't, right. ha- I don't want to do that. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, well, we've yacked a lot about this. We have, we're rolling along. And I'd love, I'd love for any of our, our listeners or any of our, um, our subscribers on board game geek yeah. to, to, to comment on, on this topic. It's, it's one that we certainly don't have figured out. <laughs> and we um, certainly don't agree on. No, we don't. <laughs> I, I bet we could get a real food fight going on with this one. So if you have strong feelings, if you think one or both of us are wrong, send us an email at hello at getonboard.games. Go to our guild. We post a, th- a new thread with every episode, so there will be a thread at the time this episode airs. Go on there. Say your piece, because... We really get fired up about this, and we might even revisit this topic at a later date. If you guys throw in some really cool, I don't know, feedback or discussion, we might have to revisit this. Have we done a pick five on top permanent games in our collection, like oh. top lifeline? Top games we think will be classics. See, it would just be the top five of my top ten, because oh, that's, that's true. what I look for. Yeah. So, I think that's just a top ten, but... Huh. Anyway... Please let us know. And I think, um, let us know, too, whether you agree more with me or more with Andrew. Because I'm clearly right. And I think that <laughs> whoever gets more votes gets gets to, I don't know, throw some kind of food item at the other. Uh, uh, too bad they one. won't see it because it's radio. So, yeah. Anyways, this has been Get On Board. We really need to wrap this up because we've taken an extra 10 minutes of your time. 10 minutes you'll never get back. <laughs> Anyways. You can find us on the web at www.getonboard.games. We release new audio episodes every Monday, and we release new written reviews every Wednesday. So do check those out. You can find us on iTunes, Android, anywhere you get podcasts. We are there. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Tim. Bye. It has, uh, you're going to have to edit a little bit.